Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Nobody Expects the Spanish National Anthem. That provided by Brad D in our Patreon Slack group. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners. So let's be friends. Welcome to the Singapore Race Review, which was unexpectedly quite good. And as a parent, one of my key tactics on any adventure is to set low expectations. That's the key to a happy life. That's what my Lola Esther taught me. Low expectations lead to happy days. Yes, kids, we are going to the park, but it might be shut. It might rain. The ice cream van might not be there. Yes, kids, we're going to go and watch the Singapore Grand Prix, but no one will attempt a ballsy Hollywood two-stop double stack. That never happens here. No one will overtake. The aero wash is too washy, and no one can beat Max Verstappen. He's won 10 in a row. But today, we went to the park, we had ice cream, and it was not Red Bull flavoured. So today, joining me on the show, that is an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We might be wrong, but we're first. We'll give you a race review on your Monday morning commute. How does that sound? And it's me, and it's Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? You know, if you squint really hard and kind of look out of the corner of your eye, a reprimand looks like a penalty. Yeah, but what if you do it three times? Still a reprimand. <laughs> uh, we're joined by international TikTok sensation Antonia Rankin. Hello, mate. Hi. Yeah, Sebastian Vettel once said everybody is a Ferrari fan, and I don't think that has ever been more true than today. I'm really upset how much I wanted Carlos Sainz to win today. And I'm also very upset how happy I was that he did win. And I had to take a good long look in the mirror and understand how after 30 odd years I got to that point. Yeah, no, honestly, I was sat there and my little Ferrari heart was pitter-pattering and I didn't want to get my hope up because I thought, 
give it 20 laps, Max will be there. And then you know what? He never was. And I thought, I love this sport. I love F1 so much. This is the best sport in the world. So think, of, really the, is. think of the Ferrari fans there as Carlos Sainz was leading and all of them, like they're, they're being nudged by their friends. Go on, be happy. Carlos Sainz is in the lead. And they're all going, no, because any minute now the sad sad will come. And they're like, no, the sad sad might not come. And like, it's been it's been many, many moons since the sad sad didn't come. and and But it didn't. They had their happy, happy day. It was the best day ever. <laughs> Honestly, I, I love today so much. I vote we make this like a national holiday. I'm no, so happy. We can't because we are joined by someone who used to work for Red Bull and now runs the most Red Bull Fossey podcast in history. It is Dan Drury, aka Engine Mode 11 from the Engine Breaking Podcast. Dan, I'm so sorry to bring you on on this, the day that Red Bull stopped winning forever. Yeah, I know. So. <laughs> Or was it the first non-Red Bull win since Brazil last year? Yeah, and it's uh, you know the show you have me on. So thank you for the invite, and uh, I'm never coming back on again. Yeah, because you could be the curse. So what I would like to ask is, could you come back for Japan to make sure that Red Bull are definitely nerfed? No, no, I'm busy. I'm busy then. Sorry. Well, looks like uh, looks like the groundhog has post- poked his head out, and there's going to be ten more races of Red Bull Winter. Okay, firstly, as I said in the intro, we normally expect the Singapore Grand Prix to be rubbish. Antonia, why was the Singapore Grand Prix good? I'm alarmed by why I enjoyed it so much. Honestly, I was quite alarmed too. But I have to say, it's like someone had sprinkled a little bit of Christmas magic fairy dust. It was wonderful. I think the changes they've made to the track, I'm a really big fan. It's still quite a long lap time. And you kind of wonder how it was even longer. But no, I really enjoyed the changes that were made. I think the general dynamic of the teams in the paddock this year with this track was just really great. And obviously, having the grid mixed up a little bit, compiled with the fact that overtaking wasn't the easiest, clearly, was um great. It was just a really good recipe for a really good race. No, it and was, I very much enjoyed. Me too. And it wasn't the easiest, Dan, but normally this has been a place like, oh, if you're within eight seconds, you can't make progress. Why was this suddenly raceable? Uh, well, you know, I think, you know, the conspiracy theorists would like to say the technical directive may have shaken things up a bit. I don't buy that personally. Uh, I think, you know, Red Bull have had a stinker. And if you take Red Bull out of the equation of all the other races, the racing behind them has actually been quite good. Mm. And now they're not running away with it, which, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, I think it just highlighted that actually a lot of the teams are more closer than we think. We're just so used to Max winning everything. That's it, Matt. There was uh, pretty much all throughout the race, you had five drivers within three or four seconds and then of course that that dramatic ending with people so close it's just that's not what we've been used to for singapore grand prix Uh, no i mean obviously the new regulations helped some the track change definitely helped because people could push the tires a little bit more but mostly what you had was red bull not in a position to rapidly get in front of the race you had an immaculately timed safety car in fact if I was Red Bull, I would I would see who was in charge of making sacrifices to the racing gods because I don't believe more could have gone wrong mm. for them unless somehow Max tripped coming into the paddock and broke his arm or something like that. It- it's remarkable they did as well as they did at the circuit. But that's a, that's a story with lots of details I'm sure we'll get to later. Yeah, well, they used Yuki up 
early in the race. Perez used their Yuki, so there's no way they could deploy a Yuki-based There was no there. stroll to yeah, crash exactly. a second time. Just it all went wrong. <laughs> there we go. So actually, why don't we why don't we start with I think the key battle map, which was basically like we'll cover the rest of the race and and a bit from qualifying. But the key moment of that race was what. I was just, I just saw you going for a moment to what Ferrari strategy team versus each other. <laughs> Sorry. But I thought the I key wouldn't. moment of like that set the, the race alight was when Esteban Ocon sacrificed his race to go home early on his birthday so that the teams could uh, have a, a tactical choice. So with what would, what did we have? We had signs in the lead. Then we had George Russell and then we had what Norris Leclerc Hamilton. I think that was, something like the order so george russell was second but basically other way around oh hamilton was ahead of leclerc there we go so they all had that kind of choice after they went around the first time to go right do we come in and get a half cheap pit stop and and go on to mediums leclerc decided not to the mercedes decided to go for it and that is what brought to life one of the best finishes in fact that is the best final third of a singapore grand prix ever uh, yeah, it is. It's interesting because if you go back and look at the radio calls, Mercedes call clearly to George was do the opposite of Ferrari. So Mercedes was in the mindset of we're going to go the other way and try and win the race. Now, with hindsight, I don't know. He might have had a better chance if he'd stayed out on the hard tires and tried to chase Carlos down. But we won't know the answer to that because, of course, that's not what happened. But it's an interesting change for Mercedes because normally they tend to be quite conservative, especially at a track where position matters ever so much. And I don't know if it's because they saw Ocon doing the overtakes on Alonso and Perez before, you know, before Alpine. And and, and let's just say this is why people live in France, because the quality of life is good. Where Alpine ended his day early and sent him home so that he could uh, enjoy his birthday. Um, I don't know if they just saw the overtakes and thought with the tire delta, with the tire offset, it was possible. Uh, But they rolled the dice. Hamilton was a little bit less of a risk. He was losing out a single position to Leclerc. And everyone knows the Ferraris are trash and dirty air anyway on their tires. So that was that was a certain overtake that was going to happen. Uh, but it was thrilling at the end, and it let us see. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going to talk up Carlos Sainz a little <laughs> bit because I've sort of long been a fan of his, much to everyone's annoyance. Although you're practically an honorary Spaniard, you lived there for a bit, and <laughs> okay. and, and, and we saw we saw a side. We got to see some of the qualities that normally I think are kind of hidden in terms of his ability as a driver at the end of the race. And it was just amazing to watch. Yeah, I've sung Carlos's praises for a while now. And I'm really, really glad that we're seeing him in a car where he can showcase his ability because I do think he really is a fantastic driver and he's a reliable one when he's got the car and the strategy behind him. And today is a really great example of that leading from start to finish in a controlled way. He didn't push the car too hard. He didn't take unnecessary risks. He controlled the way race when necessary, backing up the field in order to maintain his tires, his brakes, etc. And then when it came to it, pushed. And I think it was a really excellent example of a mature, controlled drive. I think he did fantastically. But going back to what you said, Matt, about the Ferraris being bad in dirty air, I thought it was so interesting how quickly 
especially with um, with Charles after there was the incident in the pits, how quickly he started to slip back and kind of lost his head being screwed on a little bit. I mean, we all know Charles as being a little bit of a hothead. He is very reactive and does sometimes crack under pressure. However, I thought it was really interesting. As soon as he started to get swallowed up by those Mercedes, he disappeared, which I thought towards the end of the race, I felt a little bit robbed of a good battle going on there. But in the final stages, it was so fantastic to see four cars absolutely going at it with each other. We haven't seen that in so long. And not a battle in the midfield, not a battle for a podium place, a battle for P1, where genuinely at any point they were saying constantly, oh, you know, Sainz could not have this. He could lose the tyres if he makes a single mistake, if he's got no grip round the front. He could have he could have conceded that win very easily. And just mm. as a fan, the reason I enjoyed the race so much is because we were given such good racing today. And the fact that George made a mistake is a testament to that because they were all mm. on the line. They were pushing. Are you sort of gently outing yourself as a Ferrari fan? Because I'm not sure that that <laughs> I'm not sure you've been clear about that in the past. And I'm a little, you know, I just want to oh, I just want to take a proper measure of you. That's all. That's 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 all I want. <gasps> Is this is this so you can judge me fairly? No, I genuinely and I really do in my heart of hearts mean this. I I don't mind who wins as long as we get a good mm. race. And I love rooting for the underdog. And today, I guess that was, you know, Ferrari, even though they'd had a good quality. I just thought it was really great to see some new people having a shot, you yeah, know, yeah. and I, I I love watching it. I, I really, really do. I am genuinely there for the wheel to wheel. It's great. So it looks like my panel is directing me towards talking about Ferrari instead of that pivotal moment around uh, around the safety car. That's fine, Matt. We won't talk about Ocon if that's what you want. No more Ocon chat for the rest of the show. He did really well, by the way, before he broke his car. Uh, but yeah, let, let's talk about how Ferrari sort of dominated and and just controlled a race where I assumed that the the tyre management would would get to them. Yes, they might have been a little bit fortunate that it was generally a low wearing track they, they they we've taken four of the slowest corners and the mechanical grip corners as well out of the track as well so that will have suited ferrari but what really surprised me dan was that the strategy department just seems to have arrived this weekend like where where was that strategy department in 2022 at the beginning of the year because they they were managing their drivers they were taking command they were issuing instructions and and oh my god can you believe it it worked. Yeah, it's a long, long flight to Singapore. So they obviously had time to listen to their audiobook, How to Run a Race How Team. How to Run a Race That's the one. Yeah. By J.R.R. Yeah. Hartley. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it obviously worked, you know. And they were, they were I, I thought about this live during the race when they started Charles on the softs and he was behind Carlos, like within the first corner. And I thought, would you not just let Charles go here? Because he's clearly on the better tie. But they were like, no. No, we know what we're doing. We're going to leave him behind and sort of use him as a buffer between signs. And I thought, savage, but tactical. I like it. Leclerc looked very disappointed in the post-race interviews where he said, you know, I'm happy for the team. The whole team is happy, brackets except me. But he just said, you know, it's my fault. I didn't put in a good enough qualifying on the Saturday. And he sort of, it was nice. He seemed to just accept that he goes, well, that was my role because I didn't do well enough on the Saturday. So when they gave him instructions, Antonia, he was he was resisting a little bit. But at the end of the day, they followed all the instructions for, you know, for the Deltas. 
Yeah, and I've been saying for so long, that is what it comes down to, the clear communication and chain of command within Ferrari, with the strategists on the pit wall communicating effectively and confidently to drivers and the drivers actually having faith that what they're being told is the right thing because obviously mm. they they themselves have experienced it going wrong so many times. I'm sure it's very easy for them to lose faith and think, no, I know better because 99% of the time in the past, they probably did. But I think it was really interesting with Charles today. Of, at first, he was a bit hesitant to drop back from signs. Obviously, they were trying to make that delta as wide as possible, just in the interest of backing up the pack a little bit and defending him. But being the sacrificial lamb for Charles today benefited um, signs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, he got landed with the less favorable strategy. But that's how it is. If you've got two drivers at the front, you're always going to have them on slightly different strategies because, of course, if one goes wrong, the other needs to be able to take the fall a little bit. And I'm sure he was a bit bitter because, of course, he would have wanted to be up there today. But it was, mm. as a whole team, such a seamless performance from them and one that we've been waiting for for so long. Not not all of us, Antonia. I think what I'm sensing is you. You've been waiting I for this. I from everyone you know it's so difficult because it's when you see teams not maximizing their potential it's so frustrating and that's why a team like Red Bull is so effective because from point to point to point they nail everything and Ferrari have had so many chances Mm. to be up there because they've got all of the components they've got all of the ingredients for a really nice soup but instead of putting it in the blender like you're meant to they've been splashing it on the wall yeah, like an angry, inconsistent toddler. But see, Dan, we don't just slag off Red Bull all the time. And to, sometimes I get other people in that might compliment them. But at, at the beginning of the... <laughs> I mean, look, let's, <laughs> let's not beat around the bush, right? I hate every team. I hate every good, driver. Good, you know? good. Yeah, I'm I, very equal yeah. in what I hate, and that's everything. But as a sports fan... It is. I think it's healthy to have a certain amount of hate for the other teams that you don't support. You know, like I, I have an irrational hatred of Ipswich Town Football Club, and I just like if I could wish any football club to go into administration, it would be Ipswich Town. And but that I feel that's valid from a sporting sense. I'm sure they're all very lovely people. Um, but like today, like yeah. today when it looked like no, they're not lovely people. That's a lie. But when it looked like Red Bull weren't going to win today, I was like, I just want you know someone else to win. No, not Ferrari. You know, <laughs> so there was there was that. So, but it, it was it was fun to watch that that play out. Um, they they played well, but what I wish I would see more, Matt, is this kind of team play. So, what Ferrari did today, we don't see very often. Like, why don't we at Monaco see if a car is one two? We don't ever just see one driver just park the bus and let someone go and get a ten second lead. You know, we didn't get that today, but we effectively got. Leclerc going, right, I'm going to be rear gunner and I'm going to let you disappear. And I'm not sure Leclerc would have been able to hold off Russell before the virtual safety car, hold off Norris at the end of the race and 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 ultimately hold off the Mercedes had Leclerc not done that rear gunner role. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it just speaks to how close the cars are that you need a dedicated team effort mm. to to keep, especially, I think, I think Ferrari. Uh, seemed seemed at this track to be a little, uh, you know, I'm not sure we ever saw their true, true, true pace. But I, I would argue that if you put Lewis out there for a 62 lap run and a Ferrari out there for a 62 lap run, I think Lewis would have been faster for sure. I think Russell would have been faster for sure if he managed to miss all the walls. And 
and and so he missed, was, he missed most it, of the walls, Matt. Let's be clear. He, missed, he only hit one of them. He missed his, nearly every wall. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, but you don't get this often because the fundamental problem or attraction of Formula One is your only real uh, gauge of how you're doing is your teammate. So drivers are very sensitive to being put into secondary roles. And now some drivers will be like, yes, I would rather drive a car I can win with on occasion and know that it's my main job to sweep up behind the lead driver. But a lot of drivers mentally don't want to accept that that's their place. And uh, as a result, uh, the teams oftentimes have a hard time getting a really coherent strategy because they're too busy trying to be fair to both drivers. I completely agree because that is so important and historically has been a really decisive factor at Ferrari. And I'm so glad that you've mentioned about the comparison factor because that is so huge. I mean, it's a huge discussion at the moment between Verstappen and Perez, of course. But I'd love to use this opportunity to talk about Liam Lawson. Go. Because I am so impressed. I have to say anyone, anyone, any reserve driver can come and sit in a car in testing, give it a good go, put in some decent times. But I think Lawson has been so adaptable, dependable, and actually has really shown Yuki up a couple of times. And this weekend was no different. He put in such a great performance and got points for the team. He got a great quality result and maximized it in the race. And it's really difficult as a rookie yeah, yeah. to be fast in one lap and then consistent in the race. So I think hugely impressive. Mm, I need to defend Yuki just a little oh, bit because it was go quite, on. it was funny to be fair in Q2. So I don't know, Dan can give us an insight into what was going on with the, the four team car that is Red Bull Towery. But basically, Verstappen, yeah. Verstappen nerfed uh, Sonoda's first run in Q2. And then he said, well, he didn't have a feeler. He'd lost his banker, pushed too hard, so he didn't get it. And then Lawson knocks out Verstappen in Q2. How would that have gone down? Uh, I Listen, I love it, to be honest. I <laughs> thought it was... I, I love that sort of uh, word I can't say on here. It's a family show, but... Uh, yeah, think no, of I a think less Liam's bad well. word, like and, turnip. yeah. I love that sort of turnip housing, let's call it. Right, um, now I know what you were going to say. You know so what? does yeah, everyone else. That. Yeah. Uh, but who would have thought that uh, the team that's placed 10th in the Constructors' Championship would be having a uh, driver selection sort of uh, crisis? <laughs> well, what's the crisis, Dan? So this is it. They keep saying, like, I've heard, or, or they, was it, well, your, your, your uh, Emperor Palpatine did say... I think it's likely Lawson will get a contract for next season instead of who? Exactly, you know. Mm. But I, here we go, hot hot take. Here we go. I know you Do love it. this sort I of love thing, that, yeah. I, I've, I have said for the last sort of couple of weeks now that I, I reckon Yuki might end up at Aston Martin because he is still a Honda-backed driver and Aston Martin are receiving some Honda PU soon. Wow, there you go. So there we go. So that leaves the, the, the coast clear for... Uh, Lawson and Ricardo, and to be fair, I, I I'm hard pushed to think of a driver who has come in mid season and been as competent as as Liam Lawson. Yeah, yeah. Well, you would think that that would be Nick DeVries, wouldn't you? And um, oh, that was a one off, total one off. Well, yeah. well, the thing is, that was at the time we all thought, wow, and obviously <laughs> Red Bull also did because they've whacked them in one of their 
kind of not there, but also definitely their definitely cars. their car. Yeah. So <laughs> I I find it very difficult with Red Bull because I have an immense amount of respect for their cutthroat culture. To be honest, I think in the pinnacle of motorsports saying you're not good enough, out you get, is incredibly reasonable and it's an effective way of managing a team, to be honest. But they were way too hasty putting DeVries in that seat. My word. And he, yeah, he had a fantastic performance and he did a really great job one time and they thought that was worthy of an F1 contract. Having, I found that really difficult. He hadn't been in the F1 development kind of tunnel he'd obviously done all of the formula e stuff but that is very different and i'm that's why i think everyone is a little bit hesitant to be super excited about lawson because we don't want to repeat especially no given that it's i, I think it's different i think it's more substantial than the, the free exactly, situation so before we get yeah. too far away into kind of uh, silly season speculation uh, paddy in our live patreon chat has said so alonso out yuki in I promise I'm going to circle yeah, back it, around yeah. to this exciting battle we had in Singapore. But Lance Stroll, in any other situation, has done himself no favours. If he wasn't the team owner's son, there would be a lot of speculation. Uh, Dan, he Listen. there's two things. There's two things that annoy me, Dan. A, he was nowhere for the first part of that lap and then just decided by his own admission to go for a miracle. And then he just kind of noped out of Sunday with what doesn't seem like much of a good... A note from his parents. Oh, we're talking about Stroll. Sorry. Oh, yeah, we've we've zigzagged. Yeah, it's a fast-moving show. This isn't engine breaking where we just endlessly... I'm I'm permanently half asleep, mate. Um, No, I just had my um, WhatsApp message from Mike Crack, and I've got to say... uh, (laughs) Oh, God. It says here, uh, Lance Stroll is incredibly committed, as we can see by the speed he took on his qualifying lap. That's not even a joke. That's not even a joke. Mike Crack has used that crash to show that he's incredibly uh, committed. So... Mike Crack, I don't like being too negative. Very NASCAR. The harder you crash, the better you are. Um, As I said on the last show, we can't now take what Mike Crack says seriously because he is very much doing the Otmar Schaffnauer thing where if you want to keep your job, you have to big up Lance Stroll. Antonia? Yeah, I I have a lot of respect for Stroll as a person. Nice guy. Um, Not the speediest driver, unfortunately. I think he's hit a very crossroad point, if I'm honest, in his racing career. His career has become a bit stagnant. He's not making much progression within Aston Martin. He's not putting in particularly impressive performances. He's gone through a few different teammates. So we can say that's that's a pretty fair thing to say compared to his various teammates. You know, yeah, putting him up against Fernando Alonso, there's going to be a little bit of a gulf there. But he's still been in F1 long enough where we can expect him to be doing mm few more things he is and I do struggle with why he is still in the team in the seat because if I were him and I were his manager I would say right we will find you a seat in another team because something is clearly not working if you have the potential and the talent that your father is saying you do and I'm sure you do because you can drive the car and you're not last every single race not every race nearly every race but but you know what I mean he's not he's there and he's not shocking He's, but he's just there. And I think something's got to give with Stroll because the quality lap, like you said, he wasn't putting in amazing sectors. He wasn't on the absolute limit Mm. of performance. And then at the final corner, he's had this huge shunt. And 
obviously, thank goodness he was okay after it because it was a really nasty it was one. Big, and it was it, a big one, that was. And I look, do think it was a good call to have today off, to be honest. So, so Antonia, you've grown, you've grown up in, a, in an era where people mostly survive those crashes. <laughs> but, like, Dan, like, we see a crash like that and we go, oh, that guy's probably dead. And, like, every single time a driver walks away from a crash like that, you go, poor, a blimey, how? Yeah. Did you see the photos on Twitter of how far back he moved the yeah. concrete wall? He like shifted it a full back, half a meter back. Yeah, it mm. was a proper shunt. And like you say, the fact that he got out under his own steam and that, mm. you know, what, 10 years ago? I think we wouldn't even have seen that 10 years ago. But um, I was just going to circle back to the comment about um, Lance Stroll's manager. Is it Surely his dad's his manager. Does he even <laughs> have a manager? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but anyway, I would I would just say, just because I know I, I want to get back to the racy thing. I've been trying to get back to the racy thing. But I would say, like, to everyone out there who the sport at any level, maybe the Aston Martin PR team has done him a bit dirty by going, well, he's sore. He's still sore from yesterday. It's the big game. It's the Sunday game. It's the match you've been looking forward to all day. You know, you all, all week. You, you you get up in the morning and even though the match isn't until 3pm you've got your football socks and chin pads on at 11 you have your lunch in your kit because you're so excited to get out there you don't go oh, I'm a bit sore I won't play that didn't land well uh, with me but maybe the Aston Martin PR just didn't quite get the point across quickly enough well enough quickly enough stupid I want to get back to the action Matt here's what I want the panel to tell me when Mercedes pitted under the virtual safety car, and Leclerc didn't. Who here thought that would work? Because they were obviously going for the win. I instantly went, oh, no. Oh, they're mercedes it. They've thrown away a podium. Who thought that that would work? Antonia, what was your, what was your feeling when you saw the double stack? I've learned to be hesitant. I've been, <laughs> I've been conditioned to not have optimism. But no, I, I can't I can't lie, I was very surprised that it actually worked out and it worked out by the skin of their teeth. The skin of their teeth. So you know what? Like I can't shun it today, but I will say you're on thin ice. It was I, I was holding my breath. It it was nice though, Dan, to see Mercedes being proactive. Because I think that's something that they've been lacking um all probably all throughout their, their return to F one. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, I get some Mercedes slander in there on this podcast. Go for it, Why not? Why not? I think they yeah. relied too much on their dominance to have to worry about being proactive. They were just like, ah, oh, we can be reactive. It's fine. We got such an incredible straight line speed. Who cares? Sort of thing. Um, but, Fast, car merchants, be, Fast car merchants, isn't it? Fast car merchants. That's it. Yeah. 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 And when <laughs> they've had to be proactive, sometimes it's it's gone spectacularly wrong. But uh, I don't know. You know. I think it, today was one of those decisions where if it works, they look like heroes. If it doesn't, they look like idiots. It, it was one of those sort of coin flippy sort of situations. Well, I think given the fact that they're not going to win either championship this year, it, it, was, it wasn't that much of a bet to chase the win versus throwing away a guaranteed second place, which is pretty much what they threw away. Um, it's nice to see them being aggressive with a strategy because it makes for more interesting racing and it's it's um i don't know i don't know if i would have done that if you'd if i'd been in charge at that point to me the sensible thing uh was to split the strategy lewis was only going to lose a single position effectively because there was a big gap from leclerc to alonso and alonso wound up pitting out of that anyway 
So I think I think if Mercedes wanted to optimize their points, the strategy that was correct was to leave Russell out because he was he was closing the gap to signs. He was pushing signs on the hard tire. And instead, signs basically got to circle around it any speed he wanted to till he was ready yeah. to go fast. And um, and then that would have made Hamilton's life a lot simpler. Leclerc would have been done. Norris possibly would have been done and you'd have had two mercedes on the podiums um and maybe even a win for russell if he'd found a way around signs yeah Again, well uh, this is it so you're you're, walls. you're being challenged antonio by mia in our live patron chat patreon.com forward slash mr apex saying skin of their teeth and i think the point is they gave up p2 they were already in p2 so how can we say it, it worked they they threw away a russell podium yeah, but didn't George kind of throw that away on lap 62? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is a tricky one because, in my opinion, it worked out in that they were both chasing, you know, the top positions by the end of the race in a very actually close battle where I say by the skin of their teeth because if Sainz's tyres had got just a smidge less in them, it would have worked out for them mm. and George wouldn't have had to be right on the line in the final lap. But it's, I, I have to say the whole weekend, it really did look, and I really empathise with George here, it did look like George could have taken that win. And I, fe- I did fe- really feel mm. for him that he wasn't on that podium because they had right pace. They really You're- did. And they, they, they did have the car there. They had the drivers that it was just, it just didn't quite click. You know, Ferrari, Ferrari actually for once, didn't mess up horribly and unfortunately for Mercedes that meant they couldn't win the race I can already feel Van Jean's response I can to my next thing that I'm going to say because I I can feel the voice note going by I can hear his his car going off in the background going uh spanners because he's a big George Russell fan and I think today has to go down as a fail for for George Russell and like you said like you're right in that all weekend, he looked hot. He was my tip for the win because I thought the Ferrari tyres maybe might, uh, you know, give away a little bit more than they than they turned out to do. It was a, a very low degradation race. But George Russell was the favourite. And he was looking good all through the practice sessions. And he looked obviously better than Lewis Hamilton in in qualifying. Here's my concern, Matt. George Russell turns up on a Saturday with a lower downforce setup. He is able to then push really hard, not have to worry about tyre deg on a Saturday. And maybe this is how he's got the reputation as Mr. Saturday. Pulls a fantastic qualifying out of his race costume. And then when it comes to the race, today, you could argue, and I will, that given his setup choice, he was basically in Lewis Hamilton's way the whole Sunday. Uh, oh, I mean, you know, if, if we want to just simply drive Jeansy mad, I could say, let's go back to Williams. You remember when he was in points and Emila and crashed his car for no particular reason? Under the safety car. Smash with yeah. Botas. Oh, that one, yeah. I think, mm. I mean, we could, Russell honestly has a bit of a history of doing things like this when he's in a position to do well for himself. And in, um, in American sports, Matt, what would you call that? Uh, we say they choked. And 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 this doesn't mean he's a bad driver. This doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be at Mercedes because I can imagine what's headed my direction now from all the Mercedes fans that follow us. But it is a reality. 
we, we have seen him a couple of times when it was all on the line, make these kinds of mistakes. Now, for me, I'd much rather call this like a sophomore slump. He's at the team. He thinks he's got it all wired, but he's not quite there. And so he's making these little mistakes from time to time that, that take him out. Uh, but the reality is, yeah, Hamilton was faster. He did a better job bringing the medium tire in, and he had significant pace advantage at the end of the race. And which goes back to why, if he'd kept Russell on the hard tire, you wouldn't have had this issue of Hamilton getting on the radio and saying, uh, yeah, you know, my teammate up ahead of me on the same tire, same lap. Oh, so uh, yeah, he, he needs to speed up a little bit. So actually, we didn't even really consider that, is that what, what about leaving Russell out on the hard tire in his P2 and then having Hamilton chase that down? But Mercedes just don't like doing it. They don't like now possibly favoring one driver over another. Uh, well, no, I, I think I think the Mercedes strategy was to win the race with Russell. Yes. And to that possibly, end, yeah. they chose to do the opposite of Ferrari uh, in the VSC. And obviously, Ferrari made the choice to stay out on the hard tire because it is a significant pit delta, which, oh, hey, I have a whole hmm. thesis about pit deltas. But let's point out that there was no pit stops except for Red Bull that wasn't a safety car or a virtual safety car, which is of one of the reasons we <laughs> saw this race bang so much where normally Singapore is dull as dishwater is because we had a reasonable pit delta and I wish they would do something about it. Okay, thesis over. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I love I love when Matt has his rants. It goes off so on one. Good. It gives me a chance to, you know, go to the bathroom. I didn't hear any of that. I just um, yeah, took my break there. Yeah, no, just going back to what you're saying about George, I have a huge amount of respect for George. I think where he goes wrong, it's really similar to Leclerc. I think him and Leclerc are one and the same. They're just so hungry for these race wins to to prove themselves, to get results. And unfortunately, that does mean they make some errors that other drivers in the same positions don't make, you know. We see it with Leclerc all the time, but we, we've, we've seen it with George now that he's in the Mercedes and actually possibly getting the results. But the reason he choked, as you would say, Matt, in the final lap was he got this tunnel vision. He could see the end in sight, he could see the result he wanted right in mm. front of him. And he quite literally was so busy looking on, at the car in front of him that he forgot to look at the wall next to him. And it was literally just mm. a case of he was clearly so in that race. He was so completely tunneled, focused in, and he just completely lost his peripherals because he got final lapitis. You know how <laughs> on a Friday you kind of stop yeah. paying attention? That was his Friday. What did we say when George Russell, he had that, was it a Monza where he had that, uh, you know, he had that bad, you know, the decision whether to be on inters or, or, or dries, and he said, oh, where, where, was my, where was my podium? I was predicted a podium. And he, he, was that Monza? Uh, not Monza. Was it, it was the one before? before yeah. And we said, yeah. you don't score until you score. And that he's done it again. He's almost like, you know, he's, he's, he's got this vision of where he thinks he's going to end up. And that kind of, you know, maybe blinds him to it. But I, I will say in that situation, I don't think Lewis Hamilton is a saint in this situation because he knew he was faster. He was telling the team, we need to hurry up. And he was definitely showing his nose, Dan. Lewis Hamilton, he's not an unexperienced campaigner. He was putting the middle of his front wing in George Russell's mirror. Good. Good. I'm all for it. I'm, <laughs> I'm bored. I'm, listen, I don't care what team it is, right? Uh, this isn't just a Mercedes thing or anything. Let teammates fight. Let them be spicy. Like I'm, I don't want nicey, nicey teammates. I want prime Hamilton Rosberg. 
I want <laughs> no, that in my life. God, no one wants that. No one who's ever supported Mercedes wants that. Antonia, do you want that? I have to say, I really kind of do. It's really it, when I was I was privileged privileged enough to be at Monza and seeing the Ferraris battle it out. Oh, I was yeah, like, oh, yeah, brilliant! Yeah, yeah. And the Obviously, McLarens the and the McLarens as well. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I was screaming at them, literally screaming at them, going, "You idiot! You're going to take <laughs> each other out!" Because at one point they pretty much were. But it had so much excitement. And that's that's why, like, it's just the wheel-to-wheel racing that in every aspect recently we've been denied of it. Obviously because of the single team dominance, but also because you don't get the within-team rivalries. The drivers are so altruistic about the greater good for their team. And it's like, no, do you want to win or not? But Take but, him out! But Hamilton, Hamilton's too, I think, you know, too long in the tooth, to be honest. You know, he's, <laughs> he's a bit he's a bit too much of a grown-up to have just stuck his nose up the inside of his teammate when they're still pretending, given that they're not fighting for a driver's championship this season. He's still pretending to kind of be all nicey-nicey. So he never, like, shoved the nose in. But he was driving in an in- intimidating manner. He was making sure that the team knew and the world knew that he was faster. He was faster as well. And when they arrived at that battle, he had tyres and George Russell didn't really. So in a lot of ways, from a a Mercedes point of view, the wrong car arrived at that battle first for whatever reason. But, But I'm just saying, Matt, I'm just saying Lewis Hamilton wasn't innocent. He wasn't being all teamy, teamy. You could you could argue that he put his younger teammate under enough pressure to force an error. So I think I think that was Russell and Hamilton racing each other all race long. Uh, heat kitchen is what I would say to that particular situation. Kitchen? If you can't stand the heat, ah. get out the kitchen. Yeah, but, I, but oh, this is the thing. Be a very ah, American no, 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 no. But the thing is, it's a, it's a passive aggressive kitchen because on the surface of it, they're teammates and it's all very nicey-nicey. But I think George Russell is doing everything he can to make sure he's ahead of Lewis Hamilton. And I think that's why he runs his qualifying setups to give himself a, a leg up. And But I think Lewis Hamilton, on a very quiet level, is doing the same to George Russell. That rivalry is bubbling up, Rankin. It's bubbling up. We have been robbed as as an international F1 fan base. We have been robbed, right, of having Mercedes at the front of the grid. Because yeah. I was saying before George moved to Mercedes, once it was announced, I went, if this Mercedes is dominant, we've got two British drivers who are both incredibly motivated. You've got George, who to this day, this remains true, who is incredibly hungry, who really wants to prove himself. And there is Lewis, who doesn't want to do what he did to Alonso, which has come in really, really good and show up the, you know, the seasoned professional. And I just think if they were both in a position where they're both pushing for a race win at the same time, it would be carnage. I, I yeah. don't think that Lewis would have any qualms at all about getting his elbows out against George If it was for the championship. Yeah. Easily. And I think it would be phenomenal. I think it would be such a great battle. You know, two Brits completely just blitzing each other. It'd be fantastic. I'd love to see that. 2024, if Mercedes are in contention, Dan, Mercedes... They need to do what Red Bull do. They need to do what Red Bull do. Pick a number one. Get the number two out of the way when necessary. Listen, don't talk to me about teammates and being nicey-nicey because I've seen you at the Missed Apex karting. As soon as your visor goes down, you're trying to kill everyone else on that Not track, kill, right? just like... Not just, on purpose. Yeah, yeah and just, then soon afterwards, you're trying to buy us all beers. Yeah, I'm just facilitating their demise. If, you know, if they die, they die. But, you know, that's not the primary aim. 
don't because I nearly did. I nearly oh, did. Oh, true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you nearly Listen. got your wish, Spanners. Can There's I no just... friends on a racetrack, mate. Yes, there is. <laughs> right, Dan Jury, right, you, I'm going to shame you right now because at a Missed Apex karting event, young Antonio Rankin here was thrown from a cart after hitting uh, someone in a very high-speed section. And this this little hard man, Dan Jury here, who tries to be all like, yo, I don't care about anyone, gave up his race to pull alongside the ragdoll corpse-looking entity that was Antonio Rankin on the track. You pulled your cart alongside to make sure that no one else hit her. And you, sir are a legend for doing that. Listen, even when I'm on the track, mate, that dad life, I'm all about that. <laughs> it kicks in, doesn't it? It absolutely does kick in. All right, let's move on. <laughs> Difficult weekend for Red Bull Racing. So we should have, you know, the, no problem in exploiting and, and, and pulling some information by ex-Red Bull Racing employee Dan Jury. Dan, I'm so sorry that the one weekend we get you on here for a race review is when, you know, they've had the biggest struggles. But it, it's I'm, I'm sure you can find a way to fight through the tears by looking at, say, the championship table. Uh, but a very difficult weekend for Red Bull. Yeah. Oh, no, we only won the last 14 <laughs> races in a row. Woe is us. Yes. Oh, dear. Yeah, it was it was a uh, interesting weekend for the Red Bull. Um, I think we alluded to it earlier. <clears throat> I don't think it's got anything to do with the technical directive or anything like that. I think it's just Singapore is a bit of a, um, you know, like a, what do they call it? Like a, a boogie track or whatever for the uh, Red Bull. They never seem to have done well here, really. Oh, is that it? So yeah, you, that's it. Yeah, no, okay. And I, I thought you were going to come back at me or something. Well, I thought you were going to be like, no, like Red that. Bull were brilliant, actually. Or we've been robbed by the FIA technical directive. Matt, this is they very disappointing. I'm trying to start a fight here. I was just thinking you were going to go with it's the limitations of the Dutch mentality in the hot tropics. <laughs> what I will say, Dan, is Ooh. you're a Verstappen, Dan, you're a Verstappen fan. You could get reprimanded for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Really yeah you, could, you could get a really stern telling off there. You could get a slap on the wrist. You better check your emails. <laughs> oh, no. How many reprimands is that? Dan. Right, Dan. Yes, mate. So you're a Verstappen fan. Uh, oh shut like, up right, yes sure you, yeah for the sake of this podcast for the sake you of lot, this I haven't listened to you lot for the last god knows how long yes you um, are you're allowed to be a Verstappen fan and you actually with you, my Verstappen poster in the background yeah that's yes, the giveaway I'm an absolute Verstappen fan and you yeah, temporarily okay, converted my son into being a Verstappen fan by giving very kind gift of giving them the end of season memorabilia for, from Red Bull and for, it did last for a whole season he was rooting for Verstappen I've got a whole mm. shelf full of some other stuff as well. So He's, if you need to top up. No, I've brainwashed him better now. You've, I didn't okay. brainwash him well enough the first time and you got to him, but this time I'm prepared. Uh, but Fair enough. Most Verstappen fans all season have, have spent time trying to protest how good he's been doing. When, from my point of view, you can't tell how well he's been doing because the car's been, you know, it's been a rocket ship. It's been off in the distance. Today, when he hasn't had the car, this is probably his best drive of the season. Yeah, you can get complacent when you take pole and you start P1 and you just drive off into the distance for, what, 10 races in a row or whatever, you know. You can sort of think, how good is this guy really? And it's not until you get him back into the pack or whatever and he actually has to earn it. You think, oh, he's, he's not too bad, actually. Yeah, no, he's all right. I forgot all about that, Max. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Mate, you know, it's not, it's not all car, Antonio, not, not all. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, no, I was literally saying this the last time I was on. I think a lot of the issue when Max starts in the middle of the field is people just move out of his way because they think, oh, my battle's not with Red Bull. Good point. And today their battle was, and it was wonderful. It was so great. And obviously, again, like we've been saying, it's not an ideal attack for over over tracking. Oh my goodness, I can't get my words out tonight. But it it was really nice actually to see people get their elbows out against Red Bull. We had some really great battles, and Perez was just knocking people left, right, oh center. God. You know, he had elbows, knees, and toes out. It was fantastic. But <laughs> Antonio, really, on that, on cool. that, have you? Do you know how many people Perez took out? Because I genuinely lost count. He took he took out Sonoda oh, and no. then at least two other dive bombs. Yeah, it was like bumper cars around him. I'm pretty sure like by the end of the race, everyone had established a one meter don't go there radius just in case. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure with like it's like I was saying, they're probably not used to that much wheel to wheel action. Because if they are on any other circuit, any People car get out their way. will just yeah. go, oh, let me just, I'll take that. I don't want to waste tires on this guy. And I, it was really nice today, actually, to have them have a bit of a battle. And I was really impressed by Verstappen's performance today. So even though it didn't end in a P1, it was still a great performance. So, you know, all of the credit there. Yeah, I, I just get curious because I feel like Red Bull put both of their drivers on the opposite strategy. And and it's a low probability strategy. I'm curious where they would have turned out if they just gone along with the leaders. I wonder what Max would have done starting on the medium tire, being able to use the safety car to yeah. his advantage. But I think realistically, based on what the computer predicted for them, they wound up slightly better off than they thought they were going to be. So that, that's that's more of just a me question, I suppose. It's what I like he's fault. He uh he he retired too early before he could cause the lap thirty safety car, which you know Yeah. <laughs> well we did have that maths going on during the race. So uh, that safety car that first came out could not have been worse for, for Red Bull because everyone else was like, Yeah, this is a this is a great time to get off the hard tire uh, to get off the medium tire and, and go and on, on to the, the hard. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Red Bull were like, No, this is far too early, we're not gonna finish the race on the medium. So if we pit now 
it's a two-stop. Two stop. So in the situation they were in, you even went like, if there's another safety car, that's not going to help because they're still going to like drop down to like 12, yeah, with new tyres, but it's no good. So they need two safety cars, Dan. So we were doing the maths and going, well, Yuki's already out, so they can use Lawson once and Perez once. So that's two safety cars. But after that, they'd have been out of options. Yeah, but Lawson kicked Max out of uh, out of was it Q three? So he's not he's not towing the company <laughs> no, exactly, line. Exactly, there you go. <laughs> he's rebelling. To be fair, what they should do is when someone is out of the race, for example, like Stroll, they should have statistical analysis and whack someone in that has the same kind of propensity for crashing. You know, because if they'd put Latifi in that Back car, in. I guarantee Red Bull would have been sorted. <laughs> yeah, just well, Matt. This is where Logan Sargent comes in. So what did we want as well wishes to the American fan base who wanted a good American driver in F1? We want to not hear from Logan Sargent for the next four races, yet we keep hearing from him. He insists upon being heard from. I don't know how you know when the fire truck is going by my window, but... I like you it. Nail it. I like time. I like getting into the heart of Brooklyn. It makes us seem like a much more international podcast because um we'll I'm sure we'll hear we'll hear some sirens from from Dan Drury being in Stevenage as well. So don't don't worry about it. In fact, in Whoa. Stevenage, in Stevenage, every time there's a siren, they all stand up and salute to the Stevenage anthem. Uh, sorry, remind me of the question again. I was so distracted by the Logan noise. Sargent. We should not be hearing from him as much as we have been. In a normal race, that would have been Lance Stroll, but Aston didn't have the parts to rebuild right. the car. So so it was down to Sargent to cause some sort of a safety car, because we all know you can't go to Singapore without having at least one safety car. And it was just, well, you know what? I think it was inevitable. Williams is a tricky car to drive. They're not great at managing the tires. This is a terrible circuit for them. And everybody was playing the game of who blinks first for pitting off of the medium tire. So what it really came down to was who just got their breaking point slightly wrong and bonked the wall a little bit. And to his credit, he got the car into the pit lane and they sent him back on his way. So it wasn't the disaster that we've seen other drivers have in the past. But yeah, no, it, it was an unfortunate way to bring attention to oneself when one is looking for a contract for next season. Ranko. Well, other than the fact that that was probably almost definitely an accidental mistake, I mean, we didn't see much from the Williamses for pretty much the rest of the race. I mean, Alex Albon had that incident where he stopped on track and then carried on relatively near the end. Um, yeah, lap 59. I think he got hit by Perez um, as well. He did. Yeah, funny that. But but I mean, other, other than yeah. that, I mean, they're running a very nice livery for the for this race and a couple more in the future. They were probably just thinking, you know what, we've got to give the sponsors something and we haven't been on camera yet. So <laughs> uh, just uh, just to note, Albin was actually ahead of Lawson when Perez hit him. So they were they were on for those points uh, until until that mm. um, disagreement happened okay so whilst we're still on red bull we cannot ignore the elephant in the room which is that uh, red bull were caught uh, have been caught cheating for the whole season dan and the technical directive oh, is finally laying some justice down are you expecting this to continue in suzuka no i'm i'm prepared for my 30 seconds ahead of everyone else max Verstappen victory 
so no, right. So the technical directive was only started to be enforced for this race. This would have been tested in a few races before, right? You don't just turn up to one race when they start to enforce it and go, okay, now's the time we're going to actually start <laughs> yeah. a, like, adhering to the rules. No, you test it beforehand when they knew earlier on in the season about it. So I think, <clears throat> excuse me, let me get my Red Bull apologist hat on. There we go. And uh, I think it's just a setup issue, basically. I think it's been documented out there that they had some setup issues on the Friday and they were chasing it for the majority of the Saturday. They're having issues with it bottoming out and all sorts. And, and they just basically were a bit nowhere today, really, or, or this weekend. They just had but, a okay, okay, weekend. Dan, I'll just linger on that because they were so nowhere. We've had so many different types of track this season. And Red Bull have been dominant at everything. Street track, low drag, high drag, medium, high speed corners, street circuits. Uh, you know, uh, they, they, they were good on Rainbow Road, weren't they? They were good in Bowser's Castle over the, the lava pit. Yet suddenly they looked like a midfield team in Singapore. Hang on, let me just check my email that Marco sent what the company line is, I've got to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no two street tracks are the same. Right, okay, is that the one? Okay, so so Matt, you know, is Singapore so drastically different that we, we can't really tell anything from this until we get to Suzuka? Uh, no, we can tell plenty. And in fact, I always feel like you ask these sorts of questions when you want to, like, run away to the... Uh, run away and get yourself another drink or something like that, because these are the weeds that I live for. Go for it, man. So Matt's in charge the for a bit problem, then. Here we go. Back in two. Uh, the problem that Red Bull had this weekend was that they used an old version of Assetto Corsa in their simulation training for the drivers. And in that, they hadn't accounted for the fact that a big chunk of the track had actually been resurfaced and wasn't as bumpy as they were expecting. So they showed up with essentially the wrong suspension for the race, for the racetrack that they found. And then that was compounded by the fact that they need to run for the parts of the track that were still bumpy, a higher ride height than they like to. They like, they can run lower. And this is all out there. Journalists have written this up. This is not my own personal research, but they can run lower than other teams. That's part of what gives them their advantage. But they do have to run higher at the street tracks, which does take away the advantage. And the combination of running a too soft suspension with the higher ride height made made the car very peaky. And then you add to that the high evolution of the track. And essentially, they got themselves into a position where they set up for a racetrack that didn't actually exist. And as Dan said, they had massive problems with bottoming the car out which was then taking away from its drivability and robbing both Perez and Verstappen of the confidence they need to actually achieve a lap time. Antonio, you look like you want to correct me. No, not at all. I actually wanted to completely agree. A circuit like uh, Singapore is very high downforce, and ideally that means you're going to be as low to the ground as possible. Obviously, as we know in these ground effect cars, the the floor is huge with ensuring that these cars are responsive around these difficult corners. You don't want to have a twitchy car at a circuit like this, as Perez seems to have learned with his twitching towards people this race. But, <laughs> but it, you know, it does make a really big difference. So having that this weekend is so far from ideal. And that's probably why we saw some real issues with the performance and the speed, generally speaking. Um, obviously, they've 
brought, I believe, a rear wing upgrade, a small tweak just for the purpose of this circuit um, for this weekend. Um, but yeah, that's that's why we saw such a big difference because aerodynamically, these floors are so important for just sucking the car to the ground. And on a high downforce circuit, you want a responsive car that is stuck to the ground. We don't know whether the technical directive has definitely affected them or not, but... Yeah, I, we do. It hasn't. I I was pre-Monza and me and Matt were talking to, to people and we, we had conversations, Matt. Um, we were talking to people pre-Monza and so we were expecting this effect where teams couldn't use the, the flexible things that had been bypassing certain uh, FYA tests. We were expecting in Monza... That that would have an effect, and we didn't really see a big one. But Red Bull didn't look as comfortable in Monza compared to the rest, and we kind of put that down to track-specific things. Well, you know, Ferrari will, will look good there. Um, uh, Williams don't have any downforce; they're slippery, so they can just, you know, it's it's a, a series of seven rocket launches per lap. And then we come to Singapore, and it, and it kind of has affected them. So it's it's a little bit understandable for the general public dan surely you can understand how when these technical directives come out comes out and it's predicted that it might affect certain teams and when f1 as a whole has a history of targeting the favorite toys of teams that are running away it does kind of sound like two plus two equals technical directive nerfing red bull i, I don't I don't think it's the maddest conspiracy theory out there. That's all. Oh, no, I'm all about the conspiracy <laughs> theories. Go for it. Like, why, you know, I, li- I live for it. But uh, <laughs> you know what would make this a lot easier? If we were actually allowed to view the technical directives, wouldn't that be great? Oh, oh, preach, preach. <laughs> Speak my language here. It's so I, I read this technical directive before Monza. But, uh, Did I, you? Yes. And I can't say how, you know, because right. of people's I jobs. Worked, <laughs> I worked in Red Bull. Yeah. I'm sure people know this, mm. right? I worked for Red Bull for six years, right, in a senior position. Do you know how many technical directives I got sight of or read? I'm going to say zero then, based on... Correct. I'm, zero. I, gleaned I from never context. saw a single one. If oh. I, The first I knew about most technical directives were yeah. when it was on Autosport. If you sign an ND, I'll send you the what I got. But I will lose friends if you share with anyone it so there you go i can send you one um right, so that's that's to... but that is why and i'm no one i don't have any special insight i'm looking at it and i can't understand most of it but it looked to me like we should be expecting a drop off in red bull form and we saw it so as far as i'm concerned i was expecting a thing and it happened so i'm very much looking forward to suzuka to see what see what what unfolds <laughs> Oh, we like to play a game on Mr. Apex Podcast where we're kind of, we're the referee and we like to assign blame. Whose fault is it? So we could play whose fault with it, uh, whose fault is it with Perez um, when he hit Sonoda. It's Perez's fault. We could play whose fault it is when Perez hit Albon is Perez's fault. We could play whose fault is it when Perez hit whoever else he hit this weekend. I'm a Perez fan, but my goodness, what a maniac and a menace Sergio Perez was on track. I think we have a couple of more interesting ones. So let's talk about Lewis Hamilton at the beginning of the race. Antonio, he overtook Lando Norris, was challenging 
George Russell, was, there was not enough room for him on the outside. He took the mandated runoff, went outside the bollards, ended up ahead of Russell, and then ended up giving, I have to say, not at the FIA's request, but by the team's request, two palaces back. Was he at fault? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm so sorry. That's so uninteresting. I'll, I'll, I'll debate <laughs> it a bit first and then reach the same conclusion. Okay, go I, on. I think, I think it was really cut and dry with that one, to be honest. I, I think disagree. he just overshot it. Oh, okay, okay, um, If I'm completely honest, I do think giving two places back was definitely a bit overcautious, but by the looks of it, you know, Lando did have a very good race, so I think he would have ended up back in front anyway. Um, yeah, no, I think it... it, it I can see why there's a little bit of debate in it, but as far as I'm concerned, it was a lap one incident. He was a little bit overdramatic, st- veering off, off, of course. I don't think he was forced that Drama. wide, to be honest. I, I do think he could have just kind of gone, oh, that's a bit wide, I've been forced off, and then, re- you know, just quickly nipped back on. Rather, you know, he didn't have to go so deep that he then had to take the little escape road mm. route detour. So I think um, it's a but, bit more black yeah. and white than that. My only, my defence there would be once you decide to leave the track on a turn one chicane, and most of the turn one chicanes like Sochi, Interlagos, they all have a little kind of runoff kind of bollard area, Matt, where they go, right, if something goes wrong and you have to leave the track, you can, but you have to take this little squiggly route. Right. You got to follow the rat maze. Mm. Um, yeah, no, uh, he was fully ahead of Norris. Uh, giving the place back to Norris didn't make sense to me in the slightest. I'm not sure it had a huge ultimate impact on the race because the safety car uh, saw Leclerc losing places anyway, but, but it potentially did. And uh, more to the point, like if you're Mercedes, why do you not want to adjudicate that? Why do you not want clarity there? The worst thing that's going to happen is a five second penalty. And as Perez showed us due to the five second penalty, he got for banging Albon out of the points. Five second penalties are essentially meaningless if you're Ferrari or Mercedes or Red Bull, they just don't matter. You can just hit people and get away with it. You can skip turns and just get away with it. And there's mm. no catching up for the for the um, victimized driver. Ranko, right. Well, and yeah, when Alonso can... does it, he's done it twice. He did it into Lagos, did it at Sochi. People were saying he was a genius for finding a loophole. Why is Hamilton then having to give two places back? Yeah, like I said, it was definitely a definite overcautious step. To be honest, I think obviously Lando was going to throw up a stink on the radio because they see an inch, they take a mile. But interesting what Matt was saying. I think you can do quite a lot of things with, especially with these five second penalties that don't have a lot of punishment really involved and get away with them. But normally speaking, you can, in these top teams, I've noticed the last couple of weekends, this weekend especially, you can get away with a lot of things and not get a penalty. You know, you can impede someone in quali, you can stop at the end of the pit lane, no penalty. It's It really is insane what you can get away with. I think it was no question that, that, yeah, he, he he had an optimistic look around the outside of George Russell. Russell closed the door, and by by the rules that have been laid out over the you know the, the last season or so, he wasn't alongside far enough to to own any of that corner. So Russell can usher him off track, and under the circumstances of of lap one in a chicane, then he had to go and and do the runoff. But the move was complete around the the, the side of of Lando Norris, and I. I think to me, the key thing is he didn't get a penalty from the FIA. Mercedes, I think, are just a little bit 
shackled and shell-shocked by past stewarding decisions and just went, do you know what? We'd best just give that place back. Otherwise, we're, we're going to end up with, with something. Uh, but we can turn our attention to Dan for the next Whose Fault Is It? Verstappen. Max Verstappen. Saturday. He's done nothing wrong. Max Verstappen on a Saturday morning. It was a time of qualifying, and Max Verstappen went to war with a pit lane, cut off Logan Sargent, and also wiped out his own teammate, Yuki Sonoda. Why didn't he get a penalty for that when everybody else on earth gets a grid drop for impeding and qualifying? FIA bull, am I right, Dan? Uh, yeah, I feel like, on principle, I have to stand up and say, you know, Max did nothing wrong. But the reality is... Right, go, on, go for it. Do it. We won't mind. Max did nothing wrong. I'm sick and tired of being invited onto this ham fosy <laughs> podcast. Colt LH, am I right? Colt LH. Yeah. Uh, the stewarding was all over the place this weekend. You got Alpha Tauri not turning up to the uh, hearing or whatever because they never got a formal request. Aston Martin, their request came through WhatsApp. Is that right? It was all out. Yeah, yeah. Is that was, why yeah, they didn't uh, turn Alpha up? Alpha Tauri's did too. So I oh, wondered. Okay. I wondered whether Aston Martin, Dan, were too busy, kind of you know, picking bits of of green out of the wall, and they turned they up were. late. Yeah, because a representative arrived after the hearing or whatever, but they at least made the attempt to turn up, right? Um, but yeah, like the, everything about the FIA was all over the weekend, all over the all, everywhere was. It, like me trying to talk right now, it was a complete shambles. Um, I don't know why Max got away with those. Um, I don't know if it's because the FIA saw through his uh, disguise of trying to do a last to first challenge. And they were like, no, Max, we're not letting you do that. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I mate, it was everywhere this weekend. I can't. It's indefensible. I think it was. And Matt, this is what we talked about, isn't it? The Michael Jordan effect. You know, this is why Man United, yeah. you know, it was hard to get penalties at Old Trafford. And what, what don't, don't, uh, don't adhere to, don't um, assign to malice what can be assigned to, to, yeah, to. It's not incompetence, but it's like the big player effect. Giving Max Verstappen a, a penalty when he was already having a nightmare weekend would have set a hornet's nest of Red Bull personnel into the steward's office. And I just, I do wonder, Antonio, you know, how immune is the steward's office to that kind of pressure? Because the two teams on the grid that are good at this is Red Bull and Aston Martin. And they are the two teams that get away with the most. Yeah, because I was going to say, you know, it would be mean to kick them while they're down, but equally the stewards shouldn't care who's down. It sounds really weird, but if it, it doesn't matter if a team's having a bad weekend, an offence should be cut and dry. That it's like it was just I was alluding to it earlier. I was really surprised that there weren't a couple of penalties in there. To be honest, for Max, I thought that that kind of thing can be very black and white, right or wrong. Especially with all of the footage we have nowadays of dash dash cams. I guess if that's what onboard cams. Dash cams. Are <laughs> um, you a Russian mobster? You mean <laughs> onboard? Word for on that. There, but you know, we have every angle, and there was some very clear cutting up going on there and I was surprised that that wasn't penalized to be honest but and yeah we can look at it now and say well it didn't make much of a difference because Max didn't have a great weekend but I don't think it should come down to that you know I think we should say if an offense is an offense it would be like saying you know you know what Williams do whatever you want take out whoever you want you're going to be back at the grid anyway 
doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. You know, it, it, it wouldn't make sense. So I think there should have been a couple of penalties in there, but the decisions have been already made. So. It is time for any other business, Matt. And I know, I know you have a love for a certain driver and, and um, it's a driver that doesn't always have a great weekend. But despite the flames that went up in Esteban Ocon's car that may or may not have been caused by him carrying around a fully lit birthday cake with many, many candles. He actually had a great weekend. He had a great race, wheel to wheel. He schooled Alonso and Perez on a weekend where Alpine actually turned up having been largely anonymous. So a good weekend for Esteban Ocon. Despite the result. Yeah. I mean, until his gearbox lunched itself, that that was pretty good. I'm laughing because we have Dan on the show, and I'm sure he knows a thing or two about Renault engines and flames. Oh, please. <laughs> oh, that was your era, PTSD man. PTSD is kicking in. <laughs> but it, it, the thing that sticks out to me, and, and this is funny, this is sort of a theme, because I'm going to go to Carlos Sainz, because I've long been a proponent of Sainz, even when he was Max's teammate back in the Alpha or the Toro Rosso days back then. I've always felt like he's sort of not been taken as seriously as maybe people should have taken him. And you look at like the way he, on his own initiative, backed Lando up into the DRS zone so that Lando could fight successfully with the Mercs to keep himself ahead. And you're like, well, there's a driver who is in control of himself and of his car. We saw it qualifying the way he slowed down in the middle sector to have the tires for the last sector to take pole. He didn't make a mistake, which Leclerc did. And if I look at Ocon's driving today, and I look at his driving in Spa, where he also had some really lovely overtakes, and you're like, these are drivers that have matured. They've taken, they've taken a step. And it stands out when you look at their teammates, when you look at Leclerc, Leclerc is still to me a driver that has to overdrive the car to feel like he's going fast. He's he's missing that final step to become a, a complete driver. Science may not be as fast as Leclerc on raw pace, but it kind of doesn't matter if you're going to make the mistakes that take you out when when it, it's all on the line. Exactly. If you are not finishing the race, it doesn't matter how fast you were. You could have been on the fastest lap and if you're crashing out halfway through it, it makes no difference. And this is why I will completely maintain that Sainz and Leclerc are amongst the best driver lineup on the grid because you've got all of the crazy, you know, hot-headedness of Leclerc with this real understated and underappreciated maturity and intelligence and consistency in Carlos's driving. If you look historically especially within his performances at Ferrari, a lot of Carlos's inconsistent results have stemmed from strategic errors, problems with the car. He himself, and I think he's shown this, like you said, Matt, throughout his career, he is an incredibly reliable driver and he will always maximise the car when given the opportunity. And I've said this before, there is a big difference between a mature, intelligent driver and a good driver. And signs in his behaviour today showed that driving intelligence, that real racecraft backing up, deliberately backing up, because the team questioned it. They said, Lando is at uh, point eight, he is within DRS and he went, 
I know that's on purpose. It was a real <laughs> mature drive. He knew exactly what he was doing at every yeah. single point of the race. I'm sort of glad we've circled back to Carlos Sainz because like, this is such a good win. It's such a good win. Oh yeah. He did like, he did ev- like from Friday to, to Saturday. So set up preparation, qualifying, bossing the race, lights to flag, a slightly cheesy and corny celebration, harking back to a meme that he's created that his PR people have told him is good, you know, doing his whole smooth operator thing. Um, the only slight thing I would question there, Antonia, is did he really deliberately back up so that Lando Norris could have the DRS or is that all the pace he had and he was just clever enough to kind of know the, that that would benefit him? Because he was pushing. He was pushing Antonia. Like I, I don't know how much more he had left. If that had, a, if that race was another ten laps, I don't think he had it. Oh, I know what you're doing, and I'm not going to rise to the bait. Rise to it. I'm That's the whole point of the show. Rise to the bait. You're like, like my my mm. little brother, like prodding me until I bite yeah. back, and I'm Jabbing. sat there, like mm. I'm not going to react to this. But, no, but think... you are. So let's go. You got oh, the yeah, little bit fair. right. <laughs> oh, don't size shame, Dan. We can all do all right, that. Come we on, can, we, can, we can all do that, Dan. Jump on the spanners train. We can We're all do, kick him down. We can all talk about size, Dan. But no, I think I honestly, honestly think Signs came into this and he went, you know what? If my team are with me today, I'm going to give them the absolute best version of me I possibly can. He was fantastic. He really was. And it worked because as soon as Lando was within the DRS, it it was fantastic because it worked perfectly. It did. Because Mm. not a few laps later they were all sparring on behind him as he zoomed off literally into the distance it was such good racecraft. it was so good to see it was a really really excellent drive R- honestly great to watch really I, great to watch i honestly think that it was it was serendipitous wasn't it it was it was john cusack on an ice rink wondering if he'd made a mistake and then kate beckinsale's glove just lands on the ice rink and then it was just it was just meant to be who's going to understand that I, reference you've seen that movie I said what the movie is serendipity I've seen that film like 10 times it's like my favourite film oh I thought you just were using the word serendipitous I thought that's a big word no, for you it's a, it's a film that's <laughs> <it's> a- <laughs> <laughs> so mean Antonia I've just realised that film came out before you were born so i'm gonna let you off exactly that is a 2001 film and i still think of that as a as a normal film so uh age shaming aside i think we move on to the podium and this is the bit where we start giving out awards and it gives us an opportunity to pick up some events from the race that we may or may not have missed but firstly i'd love to say thank you for listening to Missed Apex podcast. And given that we've been waffling for a good 90 minutes or so, and you've put up with Antonia hitting her mic three or four times during this podcast, if you've survived this long, you might want to consider uh, supporting us on Patreon because we are only here because of our our patrons. We love our patrons. We have a patron forum. Uh, We do an ad-free feed for our patrons. And also... We do some extra content on most of the race weekends on a on a Friday, which is a bit more kind of personal and relaxed. And uh, you know, this week me and Matt were talking about rice. I'm not we really, were. I'm not really selling it. So please support us with money, and you can listen to me and Matt talking about rice amongst other things. Other things. Yeah, I mean, we were mostly talking about like our perception of Friday and how we like to enjoy because uh, you and me see Friday practice as kind of an event. 
And whilst I wouldn't yeah. want to do a set Friday review, the patron-only podcast kind of gives us that platform to go, here's what I reckon, and here's how we'll be proved instantly wrong. Yeah, yeah it <laughs> keeps us from looking really wrong in a hugely public forum and keeps it to a, a, a smaller smaller uh, area of damage yeah, it's it's a safe place for us to be wrong but actually this weekend we weren't wrong because the the red bull you know drop in form and struggles were to mostly real so i think we we um we didn't invalidate the podcast accuracy uh, as quickly as we often do on the patreon pod but matt can be followed at matt pt 55 and i'm a little upset with everyone listening here that i have 17.7 thousand twitter followers or x followers and and matt has a fraction of that i know i'm the best one but not by that much follow matt at matt pt 55 on twitter you're you're actively upsetting me that you haven't followed him more and matt now that i've done that can you stop being so weird on twitter and just be all normal now uh well for me that is normal so for <laughs> okay, people who have enough. a different idea of what normal is so I will ask you to be the first person to tell me what was your thing of the weekend. All right, Matt, two rumpets. What was your thing of the weekend? I, I'm going to have to think about this. There were so, I mean, the race itself was good. The venue was fantastic. He's stalling. Oh, He's you know, stalling for time. He hasn't thought of it. He forgot. He forgot. Oh, he totally the narrative, forgot. the dramatic narrative. <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, the thing for me that made it all happen was the radio call from Carlos Sainz to his team saying, oh, that, that is on purpose. Nice. When Norris <laughs> back into DRS to defend his lead in the final laps when his tires were going and the Mercedes were charging, <laughs> that to me, that, oh, how many races, how rare is that kind of an event? It was just stellar. It is a feature. Not a bug, is what Carlos Sainz said. I half believe him. I half believe him. This is the award where we are nice, though, so I will let that pass. My Thing of the Weekend award goes to Kevin Magnussen, who uh, was able to get a good qualifying result and a better qualifying result than Haas are generally capable of. And he was able to beat Hulkenberg in qualifying, which is, has been rare this season as well. But I loved the fact that he in the press on Saturday, knowing that he was going to start in P6, he said, if anyone comes near me, I will nut them. I will headbutt them with my forehead and my Viking horns will pierce their souls. And that was his attitude. And both houses did put up a fight. They both fought Max Verstappen, you know, coming through the points. And I think, um, I think Kevin Magnussen ended up with a point. Where did he finish, Matt? He got a point. At P the P end 10. of the day. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So Kevin Magnussen qualifying sixth and ending up uh, with a point from a Haas that always falls back down the grid. I think that is well worthy of my thing of the weekend. Okay, let's go to Dan Drury. Dan, oh, I, you make me... I make, Careful, you make me a family-friendly show. You make, me, you make me feel things, Dan. You make me feel things. And I'm not in right. a... Not rage, no. Oh, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm saying more like how Shakira and Taylor Swift make me feel things. Your words, your deeds fill me with emotions. Thanks. I follow your content. I follow your, your tweets. I get tweet notifications from Engine Mode 11. 
I do. Oh, do you really? Wow. I do, because... I apologise in advance. I remember you starting this journey on social media and content creation and thinking, go on, son, you do well. And then I also remember watching you overtaking me and feeling very jealous. But if anyone is going to have social media and podcast success and content creation success, it should be a nice young gentleman like you, Dan. Oh, you're so sweet. Your podcast's all right, I suppose. You have a podcast, uh, but it's worse because you're sort of all red bully. It's called... You no, know, yeah, right. I freely admit it's crap. <laughs> Engine breaking, and you sometimes record race reviews. Engine, yeah, when well, yeah. we could be bothered. Yeah, engine breaking. Engine breaking pod, right? Yeah. It is, yeah. Oh, I heard, got, though. Um, yeah, you've got... Is uh, that vis- Alpine fanfic, engine breaking? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. It's yeah, no, we're, going, we're harking, we're harking uh, back to the Renault days. You, though, have... Uh, you team up with a Verstappen's ex... Uh, sorry, what is uh, Blake's was role? He was the performance engineer for Max Verstappen. Yes, he so was. So you yeah. two really have been in the heart of the, the Red Bull camp. But I do hear that on your race review tomorrow, you've got a bit of a, a Colt LH ham incursion onto your show. Yes, unfortunately, we really had to scrape the barrel as uh, Blake is on holiday mm. Um, so I approached you with our first uh, podcast host exchange program. Mm. So hence why I'm here today. And then you're going to join me tomorrow. Oh, Matt, your listeners are going to bloody hate me, but it will be fun. So let's go for it. So go and follow Dan. His links will be in the show notes below. Follow uh, at Engine Mode 11 on Twitter. Go and check out Engine Breaking Pod. And listen in now as I ask Dan, what was your thing of the weekend? So my thing in the weekend, I think, technically didn't actually happen at the weekend. It happened on the Thursday or the Friday when uh, all the upgrade documents came out for the teams and um, McLaren just decided to circle the entire car. Uh, I I really appreciated that sort of Friday afternoon. We just want to get home. What parts have we upgraded? <laughs> all of it. I don't know. There you go. That'll do. Yeah, I respected <laughs> That's that. That's your thing of the weekend. All right, Antonio Rankin. All right, mate. Hi. Hey. You, you're, you make me jealous as well because you just end up going to the McLaren Technology Center. You end up going to launch events, and people in F1 have realized that you're a very competent, charismatic person that can bring their event to life. Whereas they think of me as someone who should remain in a dingy shed. For that, I loathe you, uh, but you should follow um, Antonio. No, hang on. Tick- on TikTok, what is it? Antonio Rankin F1? No. At F1 Antonia on TikTok. There you go. There you, go. you got that. You Is that the same that. on Twitter as well? No, Antonia J Rankin on Twitter. There yes, because I've made it easy by having different tags on everything. On everything. That's the best way to get people to support <laughs> so you. Welcome, Just guys. sprinkle some underscores in there next time as well. <laughs> and you're also very uh, active on Instagram and stuff like that. So go and follow Antonia. Her links will be in the show notes below. Um, Antonia, who, who or what or when is your thing of the weekend? I've been struggling with this actually because obviously Ferrari did a really cool thing but there's I feel like there's so much more within the whole scope of everything to be excited about and celebrate so I'm actually going to give it to Max Verstappen because yeah good weekend man despite not being at the front of the grid he still proved himself to be a very very good driver you know not that we were saying he wouldn't be 
but he was caught really in the thick of it, caught in the thick of it this weekend. And he did a really good performance that I don't think enough people are going to recognize mm. when you're just looking at the results at face value. So no. I think he had a very good drive and kudos. I, I've definitely been been pushing that. I think Verstappen had a really good weekend. I'd, I'd rather see Verstappen or rate, I would rather rate Verstappen on a weekend like this than one where he disappe- disappears um, off into uh, disappears off into the distance. It can sound a little bit patronising to the world champion, where we go, you had a very good weekend finishing fifth. Well, well done. You had a lot of challenges, but it all kind of worked out fine. So I think we've done our good thing awards, which means we get to be kind of negative now. We've earned it. Oh no, you missed the Yeah, apex. we've earned it. Now we can be armchair sofa fans and... Uh, I am going to steal the first one because I really, I don't want anyone else to steal this. So if you're a fan of the grid walk with Martin Brundle, which I'm not, I really like Martin Brundle. I am 43 years old and Martin Brundle saved me from Murray Walker. He has always been the voice of reason in Formula One. Like the amount of times he said, you know, Murray, oh, and there goes a lacey. No, that's Gerhard Berger. You know, he just... Martin Brundle can see a race, he can call a race, he knows what's going on. He is F1 royalty. I bloody love Martin Brundle. But oh my God, I hate that grid walk. And today he was interviewing Oscar Piastri. He grabbed Oscar Piastri for an interview and he asked Piastri a question. And as Piastri was answering, he saw Esteban Ocon and went, Esteban, Esteban, Steve, Steve, happy birthday. Oh, I've missed that. Oh, and then he went back to Piastri, who had obviously gone away after that. And it is the worst thing I've ever seen on TV. It should not have happened to Martin Brundle. And so my uh, missed Apex Award goes to Piastri for not waiting there until Martin Brundle was bloody well finished with him. <laughs> it's bad, wasn't it? That was funny. Anyway, Matt, <laughs> who missed the Apex for you? Well, <clears throat> you're not going to be happy with me. But it's going to be George Russell for trying to imitate that scene from Independence Day where Will Smith crashes the alien ship into the canyon. Only in this case, it was Lando Norris crashing George Russell into that bit of wall that sticks out one lap from the end. And, you know, and, and to his credit, George is the first person to stand up and apologize to the team because he knew he was on for a better result. But, uh, yeah, that's just that was of all the painful things I watched this weekend, including Perez. I think that was the most personally painful. So he gets the award of all the painful things I've watched. Dan's background is the most painful of them all. <laughs> and Stappen celebrating a championship. And then you've got tin tops as well. They're not even they're uh, not no, even that, real that race was... cars. Right. So that one. Sorry mm. for the audio listeners. Yeah. So this poster here is a gift from. Uh, Honda in Japan for their first uh, Honda-powered victory Okay, in Austria. And it's all in Japanese. It's very cool. That is a Sebring poster from the Aston Martin. Aston Martin, yeah, nice. CBR9 yeah. GT1 mm. signed by all the drivers. Uh, Aston Martin poster again. That was, uh, not Aston Martin, sorry, the uh, Honda, another gift for the 70th anniversary victory. Wow, he's really, he's telling us all of them. Okay, cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. listen, you mm. asked the question. Yeah, you're going you're to sit down and you're going to enjoy it. I was sort of going to slag it off, but okay. yeah. Aston yeah. Martin. Anyway, yeah. look, shh. Right. Is, that the, is that a golf livery? Should we imp- be impressed? Because it's a golf livery and it's a thing from 50 years before I was born. 
Oh, give over. It's not that long ago. It was. It's like, oh, oh, we've got, we've got a golf livery and you have to be excited about it, even though it was in the 70s and literally no one's 50. Oh, give over yeah. you. Right, Most listen, people aren't over 50 my... and don't care about the golf livery. Do you, want, do you want my Miss the Apex Award or not? No, it's now you, I want to argue on. about the golf livery. Go on then, fine, go on. <laughs> All right. Miss the Apex this weekend mm. is, uh, funny enough, talking about Aston Martin, it's the uh, Mike Crack uh, charm Ooh. offensive and the propaganda that we are being force-fed. It's gone, isn't it? He's gone. Are you sure it isn't that stupid winglet on their crash structure that made Alonso's car fall off the jack? Oh! Uh, structural failures I can deal with. What I can't deal with is being forced yeah. fed propaganda okay. and it being so blatant. Yeah, the Alonso thing we need to circle back to. But but Dan, it, it, it is bad. Like Mike Crack has basically he's lost he's lost all credibility because we all know the things he's saying about Lance Stroll aren't true. He is close to Fernando Alonso. Um, we are letting him down. It's our side of the garage letting him down. The fact he crashed proved he's wrong. It's very similar to Otmar Schaffnauer's. He is one of the most promising young talents in Formula One. And as I said last week, being Aston Martin principal means that part of your job is to go on TV and lie. And he but knows he's lying. Me, what annoys me most about this is Stroll's not a terrible driver. He doesn't need... No, you don't need to exaggerate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so yeah, that's it. Well, and and the second place is you. Giving me grief. Well, I want a second Miss Apex Award then before Antonio gets in. Uh, Fernando Alonso. Could, could Fernando Alonso have didn't done much more wrong this weekend? So, uh, you know, obviously, I don't know why, what was affecting the pace, but he missed the pit lane and got a five-second penalty and then, you know, sergeanted it into the barrier, which is very uncharacteristic for Fernando Alonso. Antonio Rankin, who missed the Apex for you? It's going to sound really silly, but I'm going to give it to Yuki Sonoda for two reasons. First of all, for not waiting until at least a little bit into the race to try and inspire a safety car. And <laughs> the fact that he didn't even get one, so it wasn't even worth it no. in the end. Yeah, wasted. He just drove off and it was like, what do you mean you're out of the way? Give us something, you know. But also for the fact it was for a puncture. Yeah. What do you, what do you mean you're retiring just, for a puncture? Yeah, just Come keep going. Around. Yeah. Drive. Do do I'm that thing. Do that thing where the tire flicks around and then yeah. wrecks most of it your bodywork. Tire works in flames, you know. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean you have a puncture and you've pulled away nicely and it's not negatively impacted anyone? Yuki, we were relying on you, bro. Did like, Lewis Hamilton pull over in Silverstone 2021 when he had a puncture? No, he won the race on three tires. That's what shocking. you should have done, Sonoda. That's what you should have done, Matt. Did you do you your did. missed Apex Award? I did. Oh, it okay. was Russell for hitting the That's the, the wall. one, yeah. It was ages ago, so I've forgotten about that. That's fine. But, uh, but I did bring up the Alonzo Winglet Aston thing too. So you get like an extra. Spice. That's what threw yeah. me off. So you get an extra one, and you may get an extra show midweek. But if not, we will see you next Sunday. And we're all looking forward to the Japanese Grand Prix to see if Red Bull really have been nerfed. Thank you very much to Matt Trumpets for being an ever-present beacon of light here on Missed Apex Podcast and our special guests, Antonia Rankin. Go and follow her on TikTok. It will be worth it. And Dan Jury, one of the nicest people to unfortunately support Red Bull and Max Verstappen. But of course, also follow me. My goodness, I'm the best one. All our links will be in the show notes below and wherever we see you next, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.